Welcome, everybody. Go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes today. Uh, We believe in taking notes here at Victory. We believe God will speak to us in these moments that we have. We get ready to study God's Word. A couple of quick pieces of housekeeping uh, for you before we dive into the story for this Sunday. A couple of things to intend to. The first thing you heard about already, and that was Serve Day yesterday. Just an incredible, uh, incredible day. I got a chance to be a part of two of the projects. And can I just say, every single person on those projects outworked me, all right? Every, from the youngest to the oldest, they outworked me. I was gasping, trying to, you know, just suck in air, trying to find a place to hide. Come on, somebody. And they just worked and worked like machines. Just an incredible outpouring of love to our community. i just so proud of you guys. And so if I could just say that, um, just to commend you guys for the hard work and all that you put into it. Uh, just an incredible day. And then the second thing, um, just to keep in mind, like Kirby talked about, at the movies next week, starting up. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in the sermon today. Uh, Because I want to conclude this kind of month of outreach-focused messages that we've had. If you've noticed, in October, uh, Kirby started with an incredible series on a mission. And then we talked about last week being called. And so I want to kind of cap off the month talking about and kind of ending this series or this overall arching idea uh, of service and outreach that we can be as a church. But then I also want to parlay that into November and the season that we're going into. I want this to kind of be the hinge between the two. Uh, And I want to speak a little bit to that. And I also want to speak a little bit to our culture as a church. Uh, I want to speak a little bit into uh, who we are as a church, what we believe, and then how we act. Come on, somebody. It's going to be uh, a little bit of that. So I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to lift up a little bit. It's just going to be a fun morning, all right? So stay with me. And I want to talk a little bit about what we can grow into. Uh, and so it's going, to be, it's going to be different this morning because I believe, and you've heard me say this, and if you haven't, I'm going to say it again right now. I believe God has a purpose for every single one of you. That God has a purpose for your life that he wants you to live out and that we're not living until we find that purpose, until we find what it is. And Jesus gave one simple command to the church. Watch this in Mark. I want to kind of teach out of this verse. Jesus said to his followers, that's you and me, come on somebody, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. That is the simplest form that we have, the simplest command that we have as Christians. Go everywhere and tell everyone about the good news. That this church and our church and the church around the world would be rallied around this idea that Jesus died, was raised to life, and that he can change your life. And that is the good news, everybody, that his sacrifice paid for our sins once and for all. And so we're supposed to go everywhere and tell everyone. So I want to take a few minutes and look at a story in Luke chapter 19. You can go ahead and flip there in your Bible uh, if you have it with you. Come on, somebody. They made it in a paperback if you've got your Bible with you today. Maybe you've got your phone. Go ahead and scroll there. We'll have it up on the screen. But we're going to study the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. If you grew up church, you've heard his name before. Uh, you probably saw him on a little felt board, right? A little cutout character uh, that you watch kind of dance around. But I want to look at the story from a different angle today. I want to kind of study this story from a little bit different of an angle because I believe Jesus gives us an example of what it means to be involved, to be aware of other people and culture and the way that it's moving and be involved in people's lives and to love them and to go everywhere and tell everyone. All right, verse one of Luke chapter 19, we're just going to jump right in. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So we're going to take a time out right there. Jericho was this oasis city about 4,000 feet in elevation lower than Jerusalem. So you read in the Old Testament all the time about how they would go up to Jerusalem. That's because Jerusalem was higher than everything else around it. 
And so Jericho, the city, was about 4,000 feet. Jericho is low in elevation. It's actually the lowest city in the world in elevation, 864 feet below sea level. Come on, you're going to learn something today. I'll do a little research for you so you don't have to. All right, everybody. But it was this city that people would pass through on their way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is doing it as well. Because in the Old Testament, the only place that the Jews could go to worship and experience the presence of God was at the temple in Jerusalem. And so the last stop on their, on their pilgrimage to the temple was through Jericho. And so Jesus is doing this as well. He's going through Jericho and going up to Jerusalem. And so they pass through. It's this beautiful city. It's called the city of God, the city of roses. It's supposed to be this beautiful place that they would pass through. And so Jesus is doing that. And so it's here in the city of Jericho as they pass through that we find our main character, Zach. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and wealthy. I think it's interesting that what we know about Zacchaeus is his economic status and his occupation. Anytime you ever hear about Zacchaeus, you find out he has a lot of money. Come on, somebody. And he is a tax collector and that he is hated in his community. Let me just give you a little bit of a reason of this behind Zacchaeus's story of number one, why he's wealthy and number two, why he is hated and they kind of go hand in hand. So he's a tax collector. What that meant in this time was he was a Jewish man who was working for the Roman government. And so his people saw him as a traitor. They saw him as someone who was willing to sell out his own people in order to make a buck. And so he would collect taxes for the occupying government. He would go out in the people and he wouldn't just collect the taxes. The Romans didn't care if you overcharged for taxes and skimmed off the top. And so he was not only collecting taxes, he was becoming rich off of his people's back because the Romans didn't care as long as they got their fair share. And so Zacchaeus is taxing his own people in this community. He's profiting personally off of those around him. And not only that, but in Jericho at this time, there was a high balsam trade, which was one of the highest taxed bracket commodities of the day. And so not only was he the tax collector, so Zacchaeus is rolling in it, all right? He's not only a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector in a wealthy community with a high tax bracket. Come on, somebody, where are my central people at? He is, he's this wealthy tax collector, and he's profiting off of everybody around him, and so they hate him, just like you probably would hate him. And so Zacchaeus is starting to do this. He's starting to, I guess, change his name in the community as he takes this job, as he becomes more and more wealthy. And the Bible tells us that they absolutely hate him. And not only that, but also in his community, he is seen as the worst of the worst sinners. So not only do they hate him because he's wealthy and they hate him because he's taking advantage of them and ripping them off, but they also hate him because he is a sinner of all sinners. He's unspiritual. And then in verse 3, this man that we've now talked about a little bit, the sinner of all sinners, the one the community hates, even he, in verse 3, even he wanted to see who Jesus was. So even the sinner of the community, the one that was hated by all, the one who probably hated them all back, the one who took advantage of people, the one who worked for the occupying government, even he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He couldn't see because of the crowd. So many things I want you to see here. The first one, jot it down if you're taking notes, and that is the world is searching for Jesus. The world is searching for Jesus. The main thought I hope you get out of today is that even Zacchaeus, the worst of the sinners, was looking for something real. That even Zacchaeus, the most hated and the one who was the most unspiritual, the one who was as far from the community as possible, was still looking for something real. And I want you to know that the world is looking for Jesus. They're searching for something spiritual. They believe there's something more. They want a purpose to their life. They're looking for Jesus. 
The world wants to know him too. And we need to know that sin doesn't work, that people are hurting, and that Jesus is the answer. We have to be able to know that because I think sometimes we apologize for our Christianity. We, we kind of apologize for our faith. We don't want to bring it out. We want to kind of hide it back here and just say sorry to everybody else. But it's what they're looking for. It's the answer that they're looking for in their lives. They want purpose. They want something real. They want to have that, that feeling, that sense of purpose. It comes from God. God put that into people. He put that in that, that they would find their way back to him, Scripture says. And so we have to understand that what we have is the answer. And even Zacchaeus, in his sinner state, is searching for an encounter with Jesus. And we have to be aware of that because I think it will change how we live our lives. If we're aware of the fact that people are looking for Jesus, it will change how we interact with people and how we are a light to everyone everywhere. Remember that verse today. We're going to go back to it several times. That we're called to be a light to everyone everywhere. We can make a difference. But here's what's interesting. We go back to verse. It says, but being a short man, he was, could not see because of the crowd. So he couldn't see because of the crowd. So much there that speaks to church culture that we need to capture today. First is this debunking of a religious idea that I hope you can see. This idea that we have to have it all together in order to get to God. This idea that we have to have everything together in order to go to him. Because listen to me, everybody. Imperfections don't keep people from Jesus. Imperfections don't keep. Zacchaeus was short. That's not ideal. But being short did not keep him from Jesus. Jesus didn't come into the city and say, I came to seek and to save everybody over six feet tall. That's not what Jesus did. He's not like, I'm going to have a ministry to tall people. I'm just not going to mess around with short people. I'm just going to discriminate. I'll love everybody but short people. That's not what Jesus said. Zacchaeus' imperfection didn't keep him from Jesus. Jesus welcomed all. See, imperfections don't keep them from Jesus. We need to understand that there's this religious perspective that says that people have to have everything together in order to be worthy to go into the presence of God. In order to ever run to Jesus, people have to get everything. You have to get that relationship out of your life and you need to free yourself from that addiction and you need to come out of this thing or that bond. You have to get it all right and all centered in order to even be worthy to come into the presence of God and nothing could be further from the truth. We get to God to get it together. We go to God so that he can heal us, so that he can make us whole. And I hope you understand that, especially in our church culture. See, it's not imperfections that keep people from Jesus. It was the crowd. It was the crowd that kept him. See, imperfections don't keep people from Jesus. People keep people from Jesus. People are the reason that keep him. It's oftentimes the things that we create as Christ followers. The culture, the committees, the meetings, the structure, the plans, the cliques, the things that we do that keep hurting people from finding Jesus. It wasn't Zacchaeus' imperfections, it was the crowd. And whether they meant to or not, whether it was their intention, a byproduct of the way that they followed Jesus kept someone who was hurting from finding him. And I think that speaks to us as a church and to our culture and to us as Christians that sometimes we might be the reason somebody doesn't find Jesus. We might be the reason that keeps them from that. And it's an easy trap to fall into as a church because we can say our vision is to reach the lost. And we can say that our services are to reach those who are unchurched and those who have sinned and those who need Jesus. And we can say all of the right things, but our actions will show whether we believe it or not. Because so often you can go to churches, and I have been to some sometimes where they can say all the right things, but they don't really believe it because you walk into the church, and it, especially in America, they go to church based on what they can get out of it. That we've turned churches into country clubs where Christians are only allowed to fellowship with other Christians. And now we don't, we don't knock that. We want Christians to fellowship with one another. It's why we believe in small groups. 
But I just want you to be aware and be careful of the fact that sometimes we can create environments that make it hard for people to see Jesus. That we make it hard for them to find Jesus. Because you can walk into some churches and if you're not a part of the club, nobody's going to talk to you. If you're not actually already known and you know people, then there's no way you're going to find out where to check in your kids or where you're going to get coffee or where anything's going to happen. Or if you don't already have that thing going, sometimes we can keep people from finding Jesus, from seeing a true picture of who he is, that he loves them. So I just want us to be aware of that. Disciples did the same thing. Watch this in Matthew. The disciples did this with children. Some parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could lay his hands and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. They said, you've got to take your kids out of here. We don't want the noise. Jesus is busy doing important Jesus things. And so we just want you to stay back. And Jesus looks at them. He says, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Let the kids come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these guys. Jesus recognized his purpose on this earth, what he was living out, that he loves everyone. He wasn't letting his disciples keep people from him. And that should speak to us as a church, to our culture, that we should not let ourselves keep anybody from Jesus. We should not allow it to keep anybody. That's the heart of Christ. In fact, when we lose our why, we lose our way. When we forget why we exist as a church... When we're too busy doing all the things that we've kind of grown comfortable doing, when we're too comfortable in our own circles and in our own things, and when we lose the why of why we exist, we lose our way. We start to waste years of our life that we could have spent reaching the lost. So I just want to speak a little bit to our our culture, because I believe that the church should be the only organization on the planet that exists for its non-members. That we don't exist for ourselves, we exist for those who are not yet a member. Listen to me, everybody. You are either lost or you are part of the search committee. Come on, somebody. We are called to find the lost. The church doesn't exist for us. The church exists for the lost. We're not fighting and and trying to get everybody who's already on this side of the cross. We are living our lives in purpose for those on that side of the cross who need to cross from death to life. You are either lost or you are part of the search committee. We are going to be a church that reaches out to the unsaved, reaches out to the lost, that goes everywhere and tells everyone, which means that we are called to be a funnel and not a filter. Taking notes, we'll be jot that down. It's not our job to determine who gets to come to church, who gets to approach God, who gets forgiveness and who gets judgment. That's not our job to determine. We're supposed to funnel as many people as we can to the cross. That is who we are as a church. We're supposed to funnel people in. It's not our job to try to filter out who gets grace and who gets mercy and who God should bring judgment. That's not our job as Christians. We're supposed to bring as many people as we can to Jesus. Don't let us be the reason that people can't see him. So here's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus. And there's people around him that are keeping him from that. So he finds a new way. Come on, somebody. Verse 4, he runs ahead and he climbs a sycamore fig tree to see what he could see. Come on, where my Baptist at? Anybody out there? Right? We ought to bring that, that song back to worship. Where's Pastor Nick? We should write that. I don't think it'd be very moving. All right, here we go. Since, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he goes out and he climbs a tree. We're going to pause here again for a minute because I think if you skim over the Bible verses that you miss how amazing of a story that this is. Because see, here's Zacchaeus, the smaller guy than everybody around him. And so he can't see Jesus. And so he, he's already dealing with this idea of the crowd doesn't even care about him. His community hates him. He's popular for all the wrong reasons. They all know who he is, but they hate him. Come on. He's already dealing with that, but now he can't even see Jesus. And so here's Zacchaeus. 
dressed in a robe. Come on, somebody. We just get this. I, we get the wrong mental picture of these stories. Sometimes. He didn't have like pants or sports shorts, anybody. He's dressed in a robe. And only a robe, if I'm painting the picture correctly for you. But Zacchaeus is, is dressed in this robe. He's trying to navigate this tree, right? He's trying to climb up this. He's trying to climb, which is reserved for the kids. But Zacchaeus doesn't care because he wants to see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector, right? He's this dignified man. He's probably dressed, right, in a, a suit or something. Come on, he's got, his, he's got his Prada robe on. He's got his Ferragamo shoes. Come on, I do some research for you guys. He's, he's dressed to the hilt because he's this wealthy man. He's got the desk job. But now he is climbing a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And I want you to see the picture here. I want you to see this. And that is because people will trade dignity for clarity. People will trade dignity for clarity. And that happens every Sunday here at Victory, even if we're not aware of it. And I think sometimes because we're not aware of it, it ruins our culture a little bit. If we're not aware of the fact, because Zacchaeus is becoming undignified to climb this tree because he's trying to get a clear picture of Jesus. And so he's willing to sacrifice his dignity in order for clarity. He wants to see Jesus. And every weekend, people will darken the door of our church who are far from God, who just want to get a picture of Jesus. And they'll sacrifice a little bit of dignity in order to do that. Because I don't know if you can remember when you weren't saved and you went to church. But when they're coming to church, oftentimes they are very aware of their issues. And they are very aware of their brokenness and their shortcomings. They are very aware of what is needed and why they have to climb this tree. Oftentimes, that's the reason that they're even willing to come to church in the first place. And so before they ever get here, listen to me, everybody. The devil has beat them up enough over it. I guarantee you they are aware of their shortcomings. That they don't need the church to suddenly be this unwelcoming place that points the finger and says, you're not welcome to come in here. And so on the way to church, they're already having that voice in their mind that's saying, well, you haven't been to church in years. And you've, maybe you never went to church and, you know, you've done all those things. And they're already a club. They're just, you're going to be an outsider. They already have that voice telling them that. And everybody's going to know that you're the sinner. And everybody's going to know. And God's going to reveal all your sins to somebody. And they're going to call you out on them right in the middle of everybody. And they, they have that voice speaking to them. They're already wrestling with all of that. So our culture makes the difference When somebody comes in that's far from God and wants to get a picture of Jesus, our culture makes the difference on whether or not they get a clear picture of who he is. And it's our job to present that to him, that we are God's ambassadors presented and entrusted with the message of the gospel. That we're not supposed to keep people from Jesus. And so they're coming in and they're sacrificing a little bit of dignity just coming in the door. And, you know, they have all these crazy ideas of what's going to happen to them. And so when we're welcoming and loving to people, When we show them a picture of who Christ is, it drops the walls. When we're willing to stop the conversation with the person that we know to go talk to the person that we don't, it drops the wall a little bit because they're already sacrificing dignity. They're already trying to get a picture of Jesus. And so we're just finding and creating environments where people can have clarity of who God is. It's who we are as a church. We're supposed to present the gospel that they're here trying to get a picture of Jesus and we're supposed to present that picture. It's who we are as a church. So Jesus is walking along. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. So now we've reached verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, when he got there, he looked up and he said to him, Zach, come down immediately. I need to stay at your house today. I'm coming over to your place. Jesus looks over and he said, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. Which would have been really odd and really out of character for a spiritual leader like Jesus. 
Because you have to understand something. In this city of Jericho, it's full of people who are like Jesus. Outwardly. It's full of spiritual leaders because Jericho is this, this bedroom community, this kind of on-the-way community to Jerusalem. And it's full of spiritual people and pastors who worked up at the church. And so all of these priests who would work at the temple, they would go to Jerusalem and live for a while while they worked. And then they'd come back home to Jericho where they would live throughout the other seasons. And so Jericho is full of these spiritual leaders just like Jesus Except they hadn't accepted him as the savior. And they were a bunch of hypocrites, just to be honest with you. But outwardly, it was full of people that it would have made more sense for Jesus to spend time with. Would have made more sense for Jesus to hang out with them. But out of all the people, he chooses Zacchaeus, the worst person. The most notorious sinner. The one everybody else knew was unspiritual. The one everybody else knew was a sinner. The one everybody else hated. Jesus chose him. And the reason for this is this principle. Jot it down if you're taking notes. And that is that Jesus still invested relationally into those he disagreed with theologically. He still invested relationally with those he disagreed with theologically. He leaned in relationally to Zacchaeus, the person in the city that would have disagreed with him the most theologically. That would have disagreed with him. The reason being, Jesus wants to make a difference in Zacchaeus' life. It's the reason that he does this. He wants to make a difference. And you and I have to get this in our lives if we're going to make a difference in the world around us. We're going to make a difference in the people around us. We want to tell people how much Jesus loves them. We want to tell people the truth that we have. We want to share the gospel that we have. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's why as a church, every act that we do, every time we have an outreach, every time we have a mission opportunity, we attach it with an act of love, with an act of relationship. And that is why, by the way, I refuse to bring you messages where I just inform you enough to go win an argument with your unsaved friend. Because listen to me, everybody, you can win the argument and still lose. Come on, somebody. You, you can win every argument in the world and still lose. We don't want to just be right. We want to be effective. So you say, well, how can you be effective? And by being effective, it's by having a relationship, by connecting first. We have to be connected first. Like I said, it's why everything we do, we attach with an act of love. We have those God loves you cards in the foyer that you can take. That we attach this idea that we're spreading the gospel and we're having relationships with people. That they're able, we're able to speak into their lives. We have to attach those things. And every mission trip we take out of this church, we take something with us. We call it door openers. Things that open the door for the gospel. For the last nine years, we've done what you guys know as Operation 2020, a ministry birthed out of this church that we take adjustable eyeglasses to third world countries. And we sent them on every mission trip we take, thousands of pairs of glasses around the world because we believe that it opens the door for the gospel. In fact, one of the first trips we took to the country of Haiti, where we were in Capetian, in the city, just serving people and loving people and spreading the gospel. And one day, we took the team outside of the city, kind of climbing the mountain that sits right at the outskirts. And we were just looking for more people that we could mission, we could witness to. And where these two dirt roads intersected, there was this house that had broken down, and it had kind of crumbled about a year before, but it had formed this kind of five-foot-high platform outside of the city, up on the mountain. And so a couple of us jumped up on top of it with our translator and just started preaching the gospel. I promise you, you start shouting on a mountain in Haiti, you'll get a crowd, all right, everybody? You start, you'll just, you'll gather people from all over. And so it was incredible. We're thinking, this is amazing. And about five minutes later, we got our first heckler. Come on, somebody. It doesn't, it's not all roses and butterflies, all right? So this guy's shouting back. And our translator told us, this is the chief of the village that we're currently in. And he says that he knows your type. That he knows that rich Americans come and they can say whatever they want, but then they're leaving on the next plane out next week. And so 
They already have their witch doctor. You could see his hut from where we were. And so what do they need with Jesus? And I remember thinking, well, that's it. You know, they're not going to see the gospel or hear the gospel. They're just going to see an argument between us and this man. But while the translator was talking to us, there was a man in the crowd from Capetian. He started working his way through. And as the translator was telling us what was happening, he went up to the chief and he started to talk to him. And about 30 seconds later, the chief turned and he said something else to us. And the translator said, he's inviting you to his house. And I thought, that's either really good or really bad. Come on, somebody. It's just, I don't know which way this story is about to turn. But so we went and he takes us inside his house and there are his wife and his daughter and they both have vision problems. And I don't pretend to know what the crowds looked like or reacted when Jesus would love on them and heal people as he walked through and how they would react. But I saw a glimpse of it when the team put glasses on that woman and that girl. And we had the best ambassador you can imagine for the rest of the day. He started taking us to every house in that village and he wouldn't even knock. He just kicked the door in and say, you need to listen to these people. And it was the most incredible day. And that night we had a service back at the church we were working out of in Capetian. And that night, he and his wife and his daughter, they all came to the service and all three of them gave their lives to Jesus. Because we have to have, yeah, give praise to God for that. We have to have a relationship, people to speak into their lives. To speak into their lives, it opens doors for them to hear you. We got to connect first. And Jesus understood that. He tells Zacchaeus, we're going to go to your house, we're going to have a conversation. I'm not going to have lunch with anybody else. I'm coming to your house today. And we don't know what happened, but look at this next verse. I love this. Zacchaeus came down at once. He's like, oh, baby, this is, this is so exciting. Zacchaeus is just beside himself and accepted him gladly. He's so excited about Jesus. But watch this. Watch this, what happens next. Because I think sometimes we as the church, we see all of this and we celebrate all of this. But then we as the church have a different response. Because I want to show you what those around him, the response that they have. Because Zacchaeus is excited about God. People who are unchurched, people who are far from God, they are excited about the good news. People who are far away, when they hear the good news that they can be changed, that they can be saved, that God loves them, they are excited. About it. God's not the problem, everybody. We are. We are the problem. Because watch what the religious people of the day, they don't like this, the ones around Jesus. This is a big problem for them. Watch this in the next verse. It says, when the spiritual community, in verse 7, when they saw this, they began to mutter. How many know a mutterer? Come on, somebody. They saw this, began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Come on, you ever heard somebody say that in the South? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. How could Jesus do that? How could Jesus be over there? He's gone to be the guest. And I would submit to you, it's ironic to me, this phrase, because he would have been the guest of a sinner no matter where he ate that day. Like, I think it's funny that they're saying this. If eating with non-sinners was a prerequisite to eating out, then Jesus would have dined alone his entire life. We are all sinners, but this, this spiritual community, they have this idea in their head that we are the ones who deserve God. That we are the ones because we are religiously educated and we know more about church things and we can speak better words than that person and we live whatever. We, they think we deserve God and they don't. What's Jesus doing? And so they started to mutter. They started talking about Jesus. You ever have a church person talk about you? I just want you to know that they talked about Jesus. Of all the people, they didn't like the fact he's spending time with Zacchaeus. It's interesting to me how legalistic environments are always opposed to this notion of grace. It's too messy for them. 
It's too sloppy. It's, it, it ties up too many loose ends. It's too, it's too overwhelming. They don't like this idea of grace. This idea that anybody can come to Jesus. So they try to exclude and they try to say, well, they're not worthy and they're not this or they're not chosen. They're not that. They try to exclude people. Why would you spend time with Zacchaeus? Why would you go there? I want you to know this happens in the church world as well. Just want you to know that you may hear things like, well, victory, may not, they must not be really preaching the truth. Because I know some of the people they allow to go to church there and woo, they're not serving the Lord. And I know them, so they must, they must not be preaching something right over there. And they love those people, and so I, they just must not be. They, I saw them have lunch with that person, and I just, I just, I know they're not, they're not, they're just a sinner. And so they must not be speaking about that. And they're able to go to church, they're just not preaching. And I heard they ate popcorn on that Sunday morning in church. I heard that. Did you hear that? I heard they, and so they must not be preaching, they must be watering down the gospel. They must not be doing something. You'll hear these things. Listen to me, everybody. I want this to be internalized in our church. I want you to write it down if you're taking notes that you might ruin your reputation helping somebody else find salvation. You might ruin your reputation helping somebody else find salvation. They call Jesus a drunkard because he would spend time with sinners. They called him a sinner, a friend of sinners. He ruined his reputation leaning in relationally to people like Zacchaeus. And I just wanted to be clear here at Victory Harvest Church. I don't care what our reputation is in the community to religious people. I don't care. I, I just, I don't care. We're going to walk through every door that God opens for us. We're going to take every opportunity that he gives to us. And I'm not saying every ministry hates us. That's not what I'm saying. There's some beautiful ministry partners we have across the city of Baton Rouge, some leaders that I am friends with. I'm not saying we're at odds with everybody else. I'm just saying I don't care what the religious community thinks. We're going to do everything we can to reach the lost. Do everything we can to welcome in those who are not saved, to let them see the love of Christ. And I don't care what our reputation is to religious people. Because we're going to help everyone we can find salvation. So we're going to be as a church. I think it's what the church should be. And if people don't change, just because you spend time with somebody doesn't mean that you validate their lifestyle. Just because we allow somebody to come to church and to experience the presence of God doesn't mean that the church validates their morality. Just means that we're creating a safe place for them to experience the power of God that one day they might experience life change. You turn people away at the door, that's all they're ever going to see of God. I told you, we're not called to be the judge and the jury. We're called to welcome people with open arms to introduce them to Jesus. It's who we are as a church. So something happens here in Zacchaeus' life. Something between verse 7 and verse 8. We're not privy to it. Luke's not invited to the meeting. But I would assume they go back. They fire up the grill. They spend time together, right? They're watching football. They're having this time. Because watch this, what happens at the end of the meal. Watch Zacchaeus' life in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, what is happening here? Jesus has changed Zacchaeus relationally. Not with an argument out there on the street in front of everybody. He's gone to his house. He's changed him relationally. And now Zacchaeus has experienced this radical change. And you can see it in this verse. Because I want you to see the evidence of a radically changed life. Because what would have been Zacchaeus' punishment, according to the law, for what he did, overcharging for taxes, it would have been what he overcharged and a fifth, one and a fifth. That had been what he would have done. But what he says is, I don't care about the law. 
God has my heart. He says, I'm going to go over and above that. I don't care what that says. I'm just going to do everything. This is the evidence of a radically changed life. Because four times the amount would have been if he had stolen it all outright, if he was just a common thief. So Zacchaeus says, I just want to, I want to give everything. I just want to be radically. It's why I love when new believers come to Christ. It's just a radically changed life. It's not how much can I do and still have fire insurance, right? It's not how much Jesus do I need and still stay out of hell, but I still want to live in the world. That's not what new believers do. They just say, I want to be all in. That's what I love about that. We have to recapture that as Christians. That Zacchaeus is saying, I just I want any saying, forget about all that the law says I need to do. I just want to go as far as I can. I don't want all of that stuff. I just want to give everything. And watch what Jesus says. And this, when he sees this, Zacchaeus, he says, Today salvation has come to this house. You also are a son of Abraham. And he says this incredible verse here as he ends the story. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That he came to seek and to save. Jesus gives us again his perspective of the entire reason he came to earth in the first place. To seek and to save the lost. It's this incredible statement. And Jesus understood the purpose of his life on earth. He understood why he had come. I know the story says that he was just passing through Jericho. I think it's funny when the Gospels put that in there. That they're just passing through or Jesus just happened to be here, happened to be there. I've lived long enough to know there are no coincidences in Scripture. In, in things of spirituality. Because so often in our lives we see things that we think are a coincidence. We see things that we think are, are this coincidence. And then we look at it through a different lens after it's happened. And we see God's divine providence. We see God orchestrating events and things. And that's what happens in Jesus' life. Because it says that he came to the spot and he looks up. He knows Zacchaeus is going to be there. He knows it's going to change his life. And so number three, as we close, Jesus wasn't aimlessly wandering. He was intentionally searching. He was intentionally seeking out. That day Jesus took that path because he knew Zacchaeus would be in that tree at that spot. And it says Jesus stopped on the spot and then he looks up and he knows Zacchaeus by name because he knows God has orchestrated this. That he would have this moment with this man to change his life. That Jesus had a purpose for his life, that he was going to tell him things. He was going to use it. I believe God orchestrates those moments for you and I as well. That we would be Christians who get outside of these four walls and we take advantage of every opportunity Every person that God brings along our path to know this is a divine, a divine incident, a divine intersection, a time for us to speak into their life, to change, to show them Jesus. It's this opportunity that we have. And he said, I came to seek and to save that which is law. The word seek there, it means to search in order to find. Jesus was searching in order to find. He had an intention to the searching. He wasn't just aimlessly looking around and just saying, well, what? He was searching in order to find. To know that Zacchaeus, I've got a plan for your life. And then to save, the word save means to seek and save that which was lost. That it would be healed, be made well, it'd be restored, be rescued from danger. That that's what our mission is, church. We're supposed to be the hands and the feet of Christ. That we're supposed to bring them to Jesus so they can be healed. So they can be restored. They can be rescued. It's what we're called to be. That's God's plan for people in this earth. That's why we have to stay committed as a church. And this is the heartbeat of the gospel. It's the heartbeat of our church. That we would reach out to everyone and everywhere. And I'm just inviting you as we head into the most evangelistic season of the year for our church. I know it sounds, it sounds different. This is the most evangelistic month of our church is coming up right now. And I just want to invite you to be a part of it. To be a part of this thing. We have geared up the next five weeks 
And every, every week and every Sunday is meant for the unchurched. It's meant for the lost. But even more so on these next five weeks that we are going after those who would never come to church in a different way. We're going to go after them. And I just want to in, just encourage you to invite somebody to tell them about it. I promise you it's the easiest ask that you will ever have of people. Come to church with me, watch movies and eat popcorn. Come on, somebody. It's the easiest invite you will ever have outside of Christmas and Easter to get somebody to church. But we're going to begin to share the love of Christ with them. And we use movies and clips of those. And then we preach between the clips. And we present a clear picture of the gospel. And we just use them as a modern day parable to prepare their hearts to be willing to receive the message. It's the most incredible thing that we do. That we could share the gospel with people who might never come otherwise. It's going to be an incredible month. And I promise you. That the tree at victory will be in full bloom. Because I want us to be the tree and not the crowd. I want us to be this, this thing that lifts people to a different perspective and a different vantage point that they can't see Jesus. I don't want us to be the crowd that's so involved in what we can get that we keep people away. I want to be the tree. And I promise you, if you invite a guest, the tree will be in full bloom. Everybody will be excited and smiling and welcoming and loving. It's who we want to be as a church. That we can be people who lift other people so they can see Jesus. Despite their shortcomings, despite what keeps them back, that we would never be those who keep them from him. So we're going to begin to witness and to reach out. We're going to keep our hearts open. And then I promise you, every service will have a clear presentation of the gospel. That every service will preach the gospel of Jesus to people who are far from him. That we would go everywhere and tell everyone the good news of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? God, we pray that you would help us to always live lives, living out the purpose that you've given us. That we would go everywhere and tell everyone about the love that you have for them. And God, we thank you that this would be the type of place, the kind of church that wouldn't keep people from you, but that we would welcome them and lift them to a perspective where they can clearly see Jesus. God, help us to show people that you really do love them. That you care for them, that you died for them. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know there are people who are here today and you're far from God. And maybe you came in the door and you were very aware of your shortcomings and your sins. And you know that you're far from Jesus. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the crowd that keeps you there. So I just want to tell you today, if you've never heard it before. If you think that God has rejected you or that God does not love you, I want you to know nothing is further from the truth. He loves you. He cares for you. I want you to know Jesus gave his life for you and then he was raised to new life that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. I want you to know that that he is your savior. I know that you're hurting. But Jesus is the answer. And so today, if you say, I want to make a decision, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to come back to God. That's you today, I just want to pray with you. I want you to know I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I just want to connect you with Jesus, we want to pray with you. So if that's you right now, I want you to pray the words to this prayer. And church, let's pray with them, nobody prays alone. Just say these words, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins 
and all my mistakes. I accept what you did on the cross. I believe that you were raised to life. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that these next several weeks are going to be an incredible opportunity to reach people with the love of Christ. That we as a church, God, we're going to change and begin to turn our culture into a welcoming environment, God. That what we've done so far, we're going to do even more to show people the love of Christ. God, that you would give us divine appointments and intersections and divine opportunities to reach others. Send people our way this week that we can show the love of Jesus to. That we would never be the crowd. But God, that we would be those who lift others to see you. That we would bring as many people as we can. That we would recognize that heaven and hell are a reality. And that we would want to bring as many souls into heaven as we can. Give us those opportunities and we thank you for all that you're going to do. We give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what God has done?